Hello, us again, the 212 podcast here. We are welcoming another guest today from the industry. They will represent and talk through with us about the trials and tribulations within the sector. This week's guest comes from a country of a billion people. That's right, I said a billion. He hosts the illustrious and rambunctious festival Bacardi NH7 Weekender, which draws in crowds of over 80,000 and is across multiple locations across the country. He now finds himself residing in Australia and managing operations from there. Please welcome our next guest, Manish Chandnani. How are you and where are you today, Manish? Hello, Daniel. I'm good. I'm based in Adelaide and uh, it's getting a little cold now. Well, I mean, you'd be used to uh, hot weather there and, and in India. Yes, I'm used to a lot of hot weather and a lot of sweaty weather. And um, I mean, basically, that's where I come from. So. Whereabouts in India are you from, Manish? I've grown up in Mumbai. So before Bacardi NH7 began, um, and and if you grew up in Mumbai, how did you actually get into uh, events um, in the area? Oh, wow. This is a strange kind of story. Um, I used to work in the family business for close to 11 years before I joined uh, OML, the company that runs uh, Bacardi NH7 Weekendo. Um, and uh, it was literally a recommendation by a friend who said you need to check out this company and a conference that they're doing which is, which was with the British Council and they're right up your alley and um, they're, kind, they're the kind of company that uh, you'd want to work with because um, we had shut down the business and uh, for uh, your amusement I guess we used to manufacture cranes that always has a special mention in my life, but uh, we had almost shut down the business and uh, I was looking for a change. So believe it or not, I was actually on my way to um, New York to study film. And uh, for some reason that never worked out because I went for the land up going for this conference and I really liked uh, what I saw. And uh, I landed up um, writing to them to volunteer for this festival that they were coming up with in a few weeks and uh, I wanted to work on it just to see what the festival was like and I just stuck around I guess that's that's the this is actually a story that has been told to every single uh, person volunteering for the festival over the years and uh, how um, a person who just volunteered for the festival landed up running the festival for um, within a few years and uh, it's one of those inspirational stories which obviously I always laugh about but it, it it's really true so it's know. almost like you need like one of those the, those cards just to give to everyone so you don't have to repeat yourself <laughs> I know I know I should just make a t-shirt saying yeah I was a volunteer once <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um so you mentioned the the, the British Council uh, so how is that connected the British Council works a lot um, with the art sector in uh, in the country and um, um, they were partnering with us, um, I mean, with OML at that time for a um, industry conference called Soundbound, um, which basically was uh, uh, bringing together everybody from the independent music scene, from um, from the arts. And uh, it was, a, I think, a three-day conference where should I call them sponsors or rather partners is a better term to use. I guess they were partnering with OML to kind of run that uh, um, conference and it attracted a lot of young people who were um, looking for a career in that field. 
You mentioned the the cranes. I, I'm, I'm assuming there was some crossover. Cranes, infrastructure and events, probably a good connection. <laughs> For some reason, everybody, um, at any point in time, if there was a crane involved in any form of uh, uh, infrastructure, um, you know, uh, like, like a commissioning of a big set or something of that sort in, in at the festival, um, I was always looked at um, and I would just be a little dumbfounded then because uh, A, I wasn't manufacturing the cranes or rather I wasn't on the production side of it. I'm not even an engineer. I was just marketing and selling them. What we used to do was uh, a very different type of crane, which is mostly um, really high capacity and uh, um, used at ports and big industries and uh, hundreds of tons of uh, working load and things like that. Whereas the kind of cranes that are used um, for erection and commissioning uh, at the festivals or at big music events are usually the mobile kind of uh, tower cranes or whatever you want to call them. I um, the ones with wheels on them. That's that's the kind of crane that is used. So for some reason, I was always associated with the term crane, just like it is now <laughs> in this conversation, I guess. And look at me, and I had absolutely no clue what was going on. Even then, I think um, there has been very limited use of uh, heavy-duty cranes at um, in India, at least with music festivals or with big concert. There have been some. I. Personally, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't think it is um, um, absolutely safe. And I always usually shit bricks when there is a crane involved. So we will we will get to the RHS in, in India. That's definitely a topic <laughs> that I want to talk about. Um, but I mean, serves you right for mentioning uh, cranes every time, uh, Manish, because now everyone just thinks you're the crane crane genius. Um, <laughs> the uh, you mentioned films there. Um, was were you, were you looking to move to to India? Was it uh, as a producer? And what was the difference there? What did you feel was going to be the difference for you, given that there's such? Uh, I mean, there's a bigger probably Bollywood scene in India than there is uh, a, a film scene in in New York, maybe. Um, what did you feel uh, was going to be different there? Um, that actually is a it made it, it made no difference in my life. It was literally one of those points where I was uh, looking for a shift in um, a career, and uh, at 28, essentially, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, so I was as confused as uh, somebody who might have just come out of school or something of that sort and because uh, all my life I had only done uh, the family business and a bunch of jobs here and there but I had some money at my disposal and I said I wanted to do something that was perhaps a little interesting to um, to me and I thought maybe I'll enroll myself in this film program at New York Film Academy and um, I had literally just done that and uh, the next thing that happened to me was uh, um, volunteering at this music festival. So that never really worked out. I have absolutely no idea why I was going to do that. I don't know if I was even interested in it. I, um, you know, that it <laughs> made no difference in my life. It was just one of those um, whims that just came about one day saying, oh, I could, I have some money. I can go to New York, study film for a couple of months and then... Uh, let's see where that goes. Maybe that'll be a good idea to, to change my career. And then and that never happened. 
I love it. Now, Bacardi and H7 Weekend uh, had its 11th year recently. Obviously, not this year. A huge congratulations. It's sometimes difficult to kind of maintain that level of longevity within one festival. So, so I guess props to you. Um, the 11th year was celebrated in the two uh, in 2020. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, yeah. In a digital form. Um, and how was that putting it together? What were the key differences? It was actually um, really strange for us to uh, begin the year with uh, having to take the decision that we might not be able to do the festival this year. Because, you know, the lockdown really started when you're actually going to go ahead and book that big artist that you, uh, you, you've you been talking about for a few years now and uh, hope to see at your festival for someday. But right in the beginning of the year, we had to take that tough decision that uh, regardless of what happens, assuming that this pandemic gets done or it's finished and it's uh, taken care of uh, in the next few months, uh, we would be too late to have um, the ability to book international acts and to be able to organize the festival because it it really takes close to a year to just put everything together for the next. Um, so we start working on the festival as soon as the the edition uh, in a year gets done and we maybe have like a couple of weeks off and then we start talking about what the next year is going to look like but we were already in March and uh, beginning of April and then that's when we had to take this decision we saw a sharp um, rise in a lot of digital kind of content or live um, content that was being produced at that time and we were one of the front runners of that where we got uh, a, a small Instagram version of NH7 um, organized in maybe like a few days of when the lockdown started and uh, it was a bunch of artists basically performing for the world um, from their homes and uh, we called it NH7, uh, Bacardi NH7 Weekend, a happy at home and uh, we did two editions of that and we got quite a decent response on it and people were really happy but within those two editions we realized that there was a bunch of things that we needed to do if we wanted to take this brand which obviously has a legacy of 10 years now uh, if you wanted to take this online we needed something different and we needed something you know uh, which was edgy which was um, not your run-of-the-mill streaming on um, the, the the usual platforms and things like that and we started putting our head to it and there was a lot of back and forth that happened with what we should be doing with the festival um, the amount of investment we would have to go uh, digital and what we would like to actually do obviously all everybody started working towards that we in fact even explored a virtual reality platform for a long time or at least i did Till um, the idea was obviously shat upon because uh, nobody uh, believed that our audiences were ready for virtual reality and uh, things like that. Eventually, we landed up deciding that we would write down all the things that we enjoy about going to music festivals and perhaps try and emulate that in a digital form. And that actually gave birth to the idea of uh, hosting it on our uh, uh, on Insider, which is our uh, preferred ticketing platform, and they were coming up with a, a streaming site, so to speak. I'm not sure if that's the right term to use for it, but they were looking at their uh, digital and virtual events being streamed on their own platform, and they were trying to develop uh, something there. So 
obviously we started discussing a lot of things with them and we tried to show them uh, all the points that we had saying these are the things that we're really looking for from a virtual uh, version of NH7 Weekender and this is what would make sense to our audience um, which was some uh, some of the points were one thing that we really strongly believed in was that everybody goes to a music festival with friends and the ability to watch and enjoy an artist perform whilst being with your friends was really important which was something obviously not possible uh, virtually but that really gave birth to the idea of being able to video call your friends while the stream was going on so that and it became quite a big hit and it was really well received that I actually personally got a bunch of messages from people saying uh, that, that was a fantastic idea where I was actually able to speak to my friends and watch, you know, hiatus coyote perform, which would not have been the case otherwise if I was just watching this on like um, a streaming platform or maybe like a YouTube or something of that sort. So small, small things like these really kept us different from any other virtual sort of gig that was happening and uh, you were able to maybe you were able to make like a 15 second video of uh, you know how there's reels or there's these short format video apps now that people really enjoy you were able to make like a short format video and upload it on the stream for the world to watch uh, so anybody who was watching the stream was able to see you dance um, or maybe just do something silly in in the comfort of your home or wherever you are watching the stream from and these are small small things that really added to the experience besides obviously being able to watch the performance of your favorite artist yeah that that's that's what really the virtual experience for us was our fans really gave it a lot of what you want to say they were really happy with uh, whatever they saw as opposed to what they would otherwise see on like a YouTube and things like that. And from an artist point of view, each and every artist actually took the extra effort to record a set at, at either a beautiful location, which was maybe on top of a hill, uh, like Taba Chake did, or maybe inside a studio with an actual performance with all, all the works with the lighting the, the the visual effects and everything and were able to send that to us as a unique content piece for the festival and that really we really appreciated that because people all the artists actually just put in a lot of effort and send that because they knew that the fans would really appreciate stuff like that what uh, what, what kind of artists did you pull in for that year so we had a bunch of them um, there was uh, the lumineers Hiatus, Coyote, uh, a lot of uh, artists from the country. Pratik Kuhar, who's this amazing uh, singer-songwriter, which um, if you haven't heard of yet, you should. I think everybody should uh, look at what he's been up to. I think, um, I mean, if Obama can, I think everybody should. Um, Shruti Hasan, Nuclear, uh, the, uh, the veteran Lucky Ali uh, landed up doing this beautiful set from a uh, location in Goa and it was um, really well received. It was actually after a long time that the audiences got to see Lucky Ali perform and uh, it was also it also really uh, made him happy that he got a lot of appreciation from it and um, yeah. Who have been your favourite bands over the years with the festival? 
That's actually a tough one, but I have to say it has been mute math. I have never uh, seen a performance like this in my life, at least at the festival. Um, I've seen hundreds of concerts in my life and I've seen other people, uh, other bands uh, perform. But I think uh, mute math, uh, when they played at our festival, I was completely blown away. It was another, I can't even seem to remember which year they played in, but maybe it was 2014. I not sure but yeah if, the, if i was to pick one performance from the festival it has to be mute man now uh, a festival in december uh, in the uk or australia would seem very difficult given the cultural impact i guess on what is christmas or what we know as christmas but um what makes the event different for you guys noting that the event is at the beginning of december um, so the festival season in India actually is, um, uh, in my opinion, is October to March because it's different parts of India. It's kind of like the best time to do an outdoor event because it's not really hot. Any other time would either be rain, heavy rain or um, really hot and not pleasant to be outdoors, um, which is why most festivals happen during or pre-winter and that's the kind of time as opposed to Europe where festivals people look forward to festivals in summer that's uh, the exact opposite for us here what uh, so you're saying it's it's actually it's actually cooler in that period of time yeah in comparison to you know the heat that happens in India in the summer so it's not you wouldn't want to go out at in 40 degrees and in you you'll never be able to enjoy a music festival in 40 degree heat and plus obviously it can get really sweaty most people dream of uh, traveling and working at the same time or even just working from another country whilst managing an an event or a festival or whatever it is a project um from afar and i guess you've had that in in working from Australia and and managing the event from from afar, how has that been for you? It it's very uh, circumstantial actually. Um, I we became a father. I mean, I became a father in 2019. Twin um, 18 month old uh, babies, and uh, that's kind of what changed um, uh, our location. My wife is Australian. She's from Adelaide, and. Uh, we decided to come here to have the babies. Originally, the plan was that we would have the babies here, stay for a few months and then go back to India. But pandemic hit and uh, that changed all our plans. Given the situation, obviously, I ran the festival from Australia, but I have a great team that works out of India. And uh, clearly, my absence was not really, uh, you know, <laughs> did not did not really affect the operations of the festival, but I was involved uh, day in and day out uh, with the setup, and I did manage to make it for um, the Pune edition of the festival. So I was fully there, but the Meghalaya edition, which is which has also been kind of my baby since its inception uh, in 2015, I was not able to make up make it for that, and uh, it was I feel one of the most beautiful settings uh, because we made a lot of changes to the venue and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's been quite challenging to be able to um, operate from here. But it's actually been 
better in a way uh, because I'm five hours ahead technically. So I get stuff done before anybody else wakes up in from the team. But um, yeah, it's it's not something that cannot be done, though. That's what we've realized in the past two years, at least. How are you finding managing uh, or have you managed any events within Australia and, and how are you finding the event scene different here in comparison to India? Uh, I, we actually haven't done anything in Australia. I'd love to. And uh, we um, I'm sure I'll be exploring that, uh, you know, in um, times to come. But it's it's I've been to many events here and I've seen how well they're organized and um, how professionally they're run and i'm hoping that kind of ethos and that kind of uh, you know the the quality of production can reach india at some stage maybe i mean we're obviously striving towards it but uh, we're nearly there but it's not um, really osha for example (laughs) Uh, we're getting there, but we're not really there in comparison to any of the Western countries or Australia, particularly, which has really, really high safety standards. But we hope to get there someday. I mean, it's companies like us that are pushing that agenda day in and day out. And um, well, that's actually that's actually probably a good point because that was one of my one of my questions was from from friends that have worked in India. Um, LHNS is is pretty a pretty loose term in in India. How do you think India is coming around to safety and events and 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 how long do you think it will be before um, I guess uh, there's more safety regulations within within India? Um, I'll say two things. One, in terms of the regulations, I really can't comment when we'll be at par at um, maybe something like um, in Australia or any other Western country. But we do have um, a lot of the safety standards that the world really follows. And uh, some, obviously, some places may be a little too safe also. but in terms of occupational health and safety, that's one place where um, India really needs to kind of um, move up in terms of standards. And that uh, I'm not obviously commenting on the industry. I'm only saying on in terms of events and uh, what I have seen in the past 12 years of being in the industry, uh, in the event industry. Having said that, in the past five years, things have tremendously changed and um, that has really come about because of partners that we work with automatically realizing that the importance of occupational health and safety is really really high and uh, they've been pushing for that within their companies and that a company like us then will not use Um, a run-of-the-mill kind of vendor to provide infrastructure or uh, uh, personnel or anything of that sort. So when we use somebody, we will have to ensure that they follow the uh, same standards that we expect out of the production. And um, that has really helped us in kind of uh, uh, pushing this agenda within at least our events, which is uh, honestly what we would care about. That has really been the changing factor in the past few days, a uh, few years. And um, the infrastructure um, that we've pushed for uh, with these vendors to be for them to be able to develop and for them to be 
um, able to buy and sort of provide to us or rent to us uh, has tremendously changed. And um, as, as an example, I'll tell you, I don't think anybody was using ring lock scaffolding in in in, in uh, set design or uh, structural design um, at events uh, for as long as events have been existing in India. But uh, for the past few years, ever since a few vendors have invested in ring lock scaffolding, uh, it has become almost the norm to create any form of sky high set that you see at these big music festivals uh, all around the country. And um, with that obviously comes their safety standards. And with that obviously comes the safety norms that you need to follow to be able to uh, construct a, a scaffolding wall with, uh, you know, uh, with the personnel and, and the engineers and things like that. So things have changed. And um, I'll, I'll also tell you, Touring artists that have obviously toured India multiple times have been able to um, see this change in terms of the way uh, structures have been uh, constructed at music festivals, concerts and big events and things like that. And they have made it a point to mention it to big production people that we've, we've been here in the 90s and what we see now and uh, in comparison to what was available in the 90s is there's a, there's a big difference in uh, the production quality and the production standard and the safety standard from uh, you know when we were here before and so that's that's a good thing that's a good um, that's good motivation for anybody who's in this field to uh, be able to and take that forward and not that we're some sort of torchbearers for uh, safety and uh, this thing but we've always tried to do the right thing and uh, not try and do anything uh, that was unsafe for anybody uh, to work at, uh, at the site with or you know something of that sort and we've really been successful in um, partnering with these vendors who've been able to invest in that kind of infrastructure and just upgrade their personnel to um, the highest of standards possible and there's there's a bunch of people to mention there but uh, obviously I don't think anybody would know their names but uh, these are really the flag bearers of safety in the country and uh, yeah should all really work with them but it is important to, to 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 mention you know you said there and I don't think it's too controversial to to say but you know there is there is a fine line um, between uh, you know one side to the other. If, uh, if there probably is some middle ground that could probably be reached in terms of um, OHMS, and you know obviously injury and, and death is not what you want on an, at, a, at a workplace. But I, I guess there's so much money uh, that you have to and resources that you have to uh, use to to even get your events up to scratch. Right. That is one of the biggest um, assets for India, in my opinion. I mean, the fact that we have this massive workforce that's available and in comparison to the Western countries, obviously, uh, labor is much cheaper. So it's just easy for um, you to employ 20 people to do a job, which in my I, I could be wrong, but what I've seen um, happening in any other um, music festival here or in the US or anywhere would be the job of maybe six people. You know, the mojo barricades that you see uh, in front of every big stage, we would get 20 people to put that across the entire festival side. I've never seen more than five people do that job at any other festival side. But to add to that, there is obviously 
forklifts that take that out of the truck and then bring it to the site as opposed to there's like an army of 20 people who would just pick up two pieces and just drag them from the truck to the actual installation site. So these are the primary differences, I think, in terms of production where um, we obviously employ many more people in comparison to what uh, you see as, uh, you know, personnel on site at any festival in the Western side of the world. But and hence the need for um, a better and a safer HNS kind of system, obviously, because there's more people working on site. Yeah, but that is the biggest asset that we have, right? Like it's the number of people that are available uh, for you to set up something as opposed to what's available here. Yeah, no, totally. And I think um, you mentioned there uh, with with the hiring side of things. Uh, what do you what do you look for um, from the hiring side when when working with a team? So I'll tell you in terms of vendors, I think we've been quite privileged to work with people who we thought was right always. And it was never a case of uh, um, competition for anybody to, you know, like there weren't many audio companies that we were looking at in any case for them to compete for the business at the festival. We always knew who we wanted to work with and um, we kind of sort of grew the festival with um, the companies that we still work with. And um, it's almost been a decade of working with them. And they have more than just being vendors at the festival. They have kind of taken on the role of being advisors for uh, what is really needed for um, um whether it is audio, whether it is visuals, whether it is uh, lighting or the infrastructure, all of these people are in all of these vendors are involved right from the beginning or right from the planning stage at the festival. So we've rarely changed any major kind of vendor right from the beginning. Uh, it is these vendors who have sort of equipped themselves with better materials or better infrastructure or better um things to rent out to us and that's how they've grown their business so it's almost been like an ecosystem like this ecosystem that we've created where we always wanted to do this and that's why we found these people and now those people have sort of grown with us so our audio audio providers or the pa system providers or everything to do with audio is still being done by the same company that uh, used to do it 10 years ago and when at, at a time when they were a small rental company to a point where they have the best audio system available in the country at the moment which is far superior or um, at par with any other audio system available in the world and that has really been the kind of um, that actually stems from the kind of people that we are and we'd like that comfort with people who have worked with us from before and that's what has um, kind of given birth to this ecosystem that we've created and we love that. We just, we never have a situation where there's 10 people pitching for a project with us and we try and choose the cheapest option or we try and choose the um, best possible kind of uh, team to work with we always always have the best possible team to work with because they've been involved right from in fact i i should probably say this i don't know if this is how most um festivals function but the way it functions for us is when we receive a rider from uh, an artist whether that is an artist that's playing on like a changeover stage and is an up-and-coming uh, band versus uh, somebody who's headlining the festival 
all of their riders are directly discussed with the vendor as opposed to i don't have an audio engineer in my team it is always always the audio engineer from the vendor's team that is uh, facing the artist team directly and having a conversation about what best suits them on stage uh, and we've given that kind of freedom to um, most vendors to be able to achieve that and um, become more and more confident in trying to understand what international acts really want or what indian acts are really looking for that gives them an idea to kind of equip themselves with better uh, equipment um, going forward you know if there's something that's missing the, the vendor knows this is what i need to buy and things like that and, and they just and then they just let you let you know what what the outcome was yes i mean we're, we're obviously involved in the conversations but you know i, I am no one to speak on um audio when it comes to uh, the technicality of it so i i'd rather have the um the artist audio engineer speak to my audio engineer directly as opposed to being that one funnel in between which sort of filters the information that comes in from the artist because i do not want to disclose or i do not want any sort of direct contact between the vendor and the artist because i might uh, be able to sort of um lose out on some business or whatever you know anything of that sort is not something that we've lived by we've always had these partners work with us as real partners and they're as much a part of the festival that the actual OML core team is so um that's what has that's i guess that's what i'm trying to stress upon that that's been the working ethos of the team or that's the kind of people that we've really hired as opposed to um asking for quotations from the market and trying to figure out what really works best for us in terms of the money we've spoken about the the digital side of of things that you've had to operate under uh, under the current circumstances what's what's next for the for the event and do you uh, do you want to take it in a different direction now you've got that taste um interesting i'd say we 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 really liked what we saw on in terms of the digital uh, version of the festival and uh, we also loved all the attention we got because um, it just goes to show that your fans are there are these diehard fans um, available for the festival and um, they are looking to watch these artists in whatever way and form that the world currently demands and that's what worked having said that we don't have an answer to what 2021 is going to look like we don't know what's going to be the situation at the end of the year if we'll be able to host a festival um of this scale again um at the same venue or at um will that be allowed by you know the the authorities to it's it's opening up slowly i can see that a bunch of small gatherings are now uh, being allowed obviously with all the social distancing norms and um there is little entertainment that's coming back to the live scene in the country but um are we able to say safely that yes we can host a gathering of 20000 people a day 25000 people a day 40000 people a day i don't think anybody is able to take that decision yet so we don't know what really is going to happen at the end of the year so and of course we're bracing ourselves to see if there is something that we can do because that is what we love doing and we would love to do that again 
we are preparing for a the digital version for sure to see if that makes sense again to do maybe sometime this year and uh, continue doing that at the same time keeping an option open to see if there is any possibility of doing something on ground whether it is in a smaller capacity or maybe if it is all all hands on deck and just bring the big guns in and try and do a 20000 people festival a day again but i'm i'm not sure if that's going to happen so yeah and is there any direction from from india or or the locations that you that you have on on when they will open up again um they're not really so much into the future there's there's obviously um things are changing every week and i know for a fact that uh, pune where we host our biggest festival has literally gone into a lockdown uh, from the 1st of march again um and uh, so they're not allowing gatherings at all but uh, that was not the case a few weeks ago there were small gatherings being allowed and uh, of, of course i say gatherings but it's all under the social distancing norms and um seated shows with uh, people uh, maybe 6 feet 8 feet away from each other and uh, things like that is what was being allowed but none of that gives us a direction in terms of being able to safely say that a music festival or an open air concert will really be allowed whether it is with 1000 people or 20000 people if it's an open air concert you will automatically have people be close to each other right in front at uh, barricades where the artist will be on stage when the artist will be on stage and that's not something that we can really say is safe at the moment so um i guess with with bigger gatherings we'll just have to wait and watch i don't know if any government will be able to give a guideline as such to say that 20000 people uh, being in one venue is okay now uh, how many locations have you got uh when we did an on ground festival last we did it in two of the major locations uh we've obviously been around the country and we've uh, in the pa- past few years we've explored um, doing bigger and smaller uh, kind of editions at multiple uh, cities in multiple cities in the country but what we've uh, finally done for the last few years is um, pune and meghalaya pune is sm- a student town that's about 3 hours away from uh, mumbai and meghalaya is the one of the most beautiful places in the country it is in the northeast of india and uh, it is also known as the rock and roll capital of the country it's uh, literally everybody's grown up on bob dylan and i don't know guns and roses i guess or whatever it is but it is the place where everyone uh, listens to a lot of uh, western music as we would like to term it otherwise in the country and um, it is a beautiful hilly sort of uh, location where that is in the true sense of the term a traveling festival where i people from all around the country land up coming there and thousands of campsites just pop up uh, around the festival and it is by far in my opinion at least one of the most beautiful sites for a music festival that we've developed what is the what's the kind of volume and the um the amount of people and the amount of acts that you normally have in number of acts i'd say uh pune is uh, more because uh, pune is a three day festival as opposed to meghalaya which is a two day festival so in the true sense of the name it is the weekend uh, and pune is uh, friday saturday and sunday 
and uh, Meghalaya is usually Friday and Saturday only. Nobody wants to do any work on Sundays anywhere, but uh, we <laughs> managed to do that in Pune. But uh, so uh, naturally, obviously, Pune um, has more number of acts and uh, I'm just doing a rough calculation in my head as we speak. And so there's five different music stages that makes it about 60 to 70 artists play uh, over that weekend in Pune. And likewise, then in Meghalaya, it would be uh, four different music stages and um, that would make it uh, about 45 to 50 acts across the weekend and um, is it just is it just music the festival well we introduced comedy at the festival uh, in pune um, a few years ago and that was a raging hit um, that is one of the um, biggest chunks of uh, the oml business we manage a lot of comedians uh, independent comedians in the country and um, we make a lot of content with them and uh, likewise in the comedy space um, we just decided to introduce a comedy stage at the festival even though there was a lot of um, kind of pushback on it saying it's a music festival i don't think anybody cares about uh, coming there and watching stand-up comedy in the middle of all of this party quote-unquote that's going on um it, I, I'll, I'll say it has been the biggest hit um since we introduced it and um not a dull moment on that stage uh ever if somebody continues to support us with that we'll be happy to just continue with that always what else what else have you got on i think there's there's, there's probably just not just music and comedy there's what what else is uh uh do, do, do you operate under? Do you have films as well? or? Uh, no, actually, music and comedy is the um, the only two different kind of stages that we have. That's, I mean, there's other entertainment which comes in the form of whatever, you know, you, like, um, there's insane food that's at the festival. And um, I find that entertaining because people really take some time out to go and enjoy the delicacies um, that are presented at the festival and the food stalls are really they take a lot of effort in trying to present something to their fans at the festival and there are some food stalls which have now become like a staple uh, we're going to end at seven we need to have these things and that's kind of like conversations that we hear and we always get those people working at the festival but yeah in terms of entertainment i'd say music and comedy is primarily we, we don't have a films angle. That's a great idea, though. I don't know why I've not thought about it. <laughs> I'm sure we've thought about it. I'm sure it's there's there have never been any takers for it. I guess that's what the case must be. And um, we're coming to the end of uh, uh, the episode now, uh, Venetian. What I just wanted to just ask is, um, you know, if there's any uh, anyone from uh, international um, attendees that, what would be your sell? For the weekender, what's what's the what's the draw? I mean, you mentioned the the in the northeast that they have that that scenery. You know, what what could people experience at your festival that they couldn't elsewhere? I'd say just come for the experience, and uh, you will never ever be disappointed. I think we have a big expat community that comes to the festival always, and. Uh, if you are asking me to choose between Pune and Meghalaya, I would definitely choose Meghalaya. It is obviously a very 
difficult place to do a festival just in terms of uh, availability of any form of infrastructure but it is by far um the most beautiful place to do a festival in the stages are in in between two hillocks um on either side creating this natural amphitheater kind of uh, a look and uh, that's how we've made them each and every stage is literally um, set in between a small little hillock and like the gorges in between the hills i don't know if that kind of makes sense but that's how we've designed the festival and uh, it um, otherwise is also a very beautiful uh, kind of location but my only recommendation is if um, any any time we're organizing meghalaya and you're planning to come for the festival especially if you're coming from overseas ensure that you book a room much in advance uh, because a month month and a half uh before the festival there is absolutely no way you're getting a hotel room or you're getting you'll find last minute campsites obviously but um, there is no other option available and that just highlights how massive that the the event is and and how many uh, people that it, it does pull in so um manish chandani thank you very much for your time and and good luck with the event in the future absolutely this was a pleasure daniel thank you for having me